0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media, the message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Alright, well good morning everybody, welcome to Liquid Church. You know, we are in the middle of a series called Home Run Faith. This is our baseball-themed series where we are searching and finding out what it means to have a big league faith. My name is Peter Gweski, and I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor in Nutley, New Jersey. But we want to welcome a few other people here today. We want to welcome our friends in New Brunswick and also in Mountainside today. Welcome, guys. We are glad you're here. Awesome. So who's ready for some baseball today, right? Anybody want some Cracker Jacks? One of my favorite all-time stadium snacks. Anybody for some Cracker Jacks coming in hot right over here? Heads up. Oh, oh, almost. Someone almost robbed that for you. Okay, we got over there. And then anybody on this side, right over there, see if we can get them. Sorry, you know, bad arm. But um, today, you know, before I get booed off of this stage for wearing a Phillies jersey, I just need to um, explain a little bit, right? So we want to explain, <laughs> we want to explain that for the first 10 years of my life, I lived on Long Island, New York and I was a diehard Yankees fan. So if you don't believe me, the proof is right here. Um, this is me on the right-hand side. Uh, I was, you know, decked out in my Yankees swag, my hat, shirt, um, and, of course, the cuffed jeans. I was ready to rock. Um, <laughs> we were down there. That's Monument Park in the old Yankee Stadium, um, hanging out with some of baseball's greatest. But uh, after that, I moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right around the age of 10 or 11, and I got swept up in the fighting Phil's culture there. So before you tune me out, let me just clarify one thing. I am not an Eagles fan, okay? So we're good, right? We're good with that, all right? So can we just kind of all be together and maybe forgive the Phillies jersey today? But we're going to continue looking at some of the all-stars of the Christian faith. And we've been using 2 Timothy 1, verses 6-7 through as the foundation of this series. And this is part of a conversation between the Apostle Paul and his protege, Timothy. And so Paul's advice to Timothy is this. He says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, gives us love, and self discipline. Paul lays out for Timothy and for those of us here today what the four qualities of a home run faith are. And to help us visualize this, we need to take a look at a baseball diamond. So in order for a home run to count, you need to touch all four bases. And so, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is if you don't touch all four bases, you may as well not even bother running. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Tim told us that we need to be a people with no fear. He said that it's hard to be a Christ follower if you're filled with fear. And last week we heard from Pastor Kyler, and he was saying that we should be power hitters, that we're to be people filled with power. No, not necessarily our own power, but God's power displayed through our weakness. And today we want to be taking a look at what it means to be people that love others. And rounding out the third baseline, we have the idea of having self-discipline. See, Apostle Paul is telling us that when you step up to the plate, you cannot swing at everything that comes across that plate. We need to understand what it means to be self-disciplined. But the truth is that anytime we step into the batter's box, we all want to square up against the plate, we want to raise this bat up, and we want to swing for the fences. We want to be a power hitter. Now, that's what most people want to do. But there's another strategy that I want to introduce you to today, and it's called the sacrifice bunt. The sacrifice bunt is trying to do one thing very specifically. What it's trying to do, it's trying to get the batter out so that the runner can score. Instead of swinging for 400 feet, you're intentionally trying for four. So that's what the bunt's all about, and you need to see it in action. Squeeze. Here comes the runner. That's going to work. Peralta will throw out to first base. And Dusty Baker executes the squeeze with Johnny Cueto scoring for the Reds from third is Paul and the game is tied 1 1. And that's the second time this year we've seen the execution of the squeeze by Cincinnati. That's an awesome play when it works and it's an indefensible play when it when it's done right. Here comes the runner Quato gets the button down and there's no play at the plate no matter what not if that runner gets the right jump. Xavier Paul went at an exact, exact moment when that pitcher had his hand behind his right ear. Johnny Cueto drops that bat head, bunks it with his eyes closed, but he still gets the job done. Did you notice the stance of the batter? Instead of standing like this, you know, this he moves into a less powerful stance. In fact, his hands aren't even together, ready to be swinging. Rather, they're fully in control of the bat ready to direct the ball, whichever direction he needs it to go. See, a well-placed and well-timed bunt can change the course of a game. But it takes a special person to be willing to step up to the plate and to trade in the posture of power for the stance of sacrifice. See, the point of the sacrifice bunt is to sacrifice yourself so that others can advance And guys, that is the whole story of the gospel. That's the mission of Jesus. He described himself, um, he sacrificed himself so that we might advance, so that we might have life and life to the fullest. Because the gospel is really and truly a message of love. And this is what Jesus said about love in John chapter 15, verse 13. He says, no one has greater, greater what? Greater love than to lay down his own life for his friends. No one has greater love or no one has shown stronger affection than to lay down or to give up his own life for his friends. But you know who else laid down a sacrifice bunt? My main man and today's Hall of Famer, Stephen. Ushers, I want to invite you guys to come forward right now and hand out today's baseball card for Stephen. We have been um, collecting these one-of-a-kind, limited-edition baseball cards, custom-made here for Liquid Church. How many of you, show of hands, uh, collected baseball cards as a kid? Yeah, Yeah, right? Baseball cards, they were the best. And I remember um, trying to figure out how much were my cards worth And I would be, like, so excited whenever one of them was worth, like, 50 cents or more, (laughs) you know. But uh, I would put them in those plastic sleeves to protect them and keep them all safe. And uh, I hope that you guys are doing the same with these cards here today. Now, on the backside of Stephen's card, you can see some of the stats on who this man was. Stephen was a man who was not afraid to lay down the bunt. In fact, Stephen was willing to do anything it took for the good of the team. Stephen lived during the time of Jesus, which puts his season roughly at about 34 AD. He was a Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jew, which means that he came from Greece, and he believed that there was one God whose name was Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and that from God flowed wisdom and reason. We see that although Stephen was young himself, by his love, he made a lasting impression on this world as the first Christian martyr. Now, a martyr is somebody who suffers persecution and is willing to die because of their religious beliefs. Stephen's story starts in Acts chapter 6, and that's found on page 762 in your Bible. And you can turn with me to that page. Here in Acts chapter 6, we see that the early church has gone through a major growth spurt. And just as any church growing would understand, there is a fair amount of growing pains that come along with that. And one of the pains here for the early church was the fact that the widows of the church and the elderly were not being cared for. They weren't being fed. So check out their solution in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. He says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man who was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You see what happened here? Right here, these are the first ever recorded volunteer care coordinators in the New Testament. Here in Morristown, uh, you guys got a picture of what this looks like. You know, last week, Joella Membrano, uh, she led a volunteer appreciation event for over a hundred Liquid Church volunteers. There was an indoor barbecue, there was lawn games, and most importantly, people were celebrated. Joella ran point on this, and she made sure that it happened. People were fed and cared for. And that's just what Stephen was doing as well. See, the disciples knew one thing. They knew that their leadership would be capped if all they did was give their attention to feeding people. They knew that they needed desperately to stay on point with the mission that God had placed in front of them, the mission of presenting and sharing the gospel. Stephen left his life um, in order so that he could become a waiter, See, Stephen served tables for the widows and the elderly. You know, he didn't swing for the fences by preaching some amazing message where hundreds of people came forward. Stephen wasn't baptizing people. Instead, he was bringing them cups of cold water. You know, Stephen dropped whatever he was doing so that he could pick up a towel and a tray and serve people. How many of you were ever waiters or waitresses, right? That is not always the, the most fun job. That's not the job where you're like, yes, I just love going to work today. Some days. No. But some days not. <laughs> some days not. And you know what? It makes you wonder. Like, it, it makes you think about it a bit. We say, you know, have you ever felt like you were destined for more than what you were doing right now? You know, Maybe in your job, you're stuck stocking shelves, or you're the one right now who goes out and gets all the lunch and the Starbucks orders, and, or have you ever said, like, I didn't go to college for this. I have got so much more potential than this right now. In fact, it's like stepping up to the plate, being ready to swing for the fences, and being told that you're not allowed. And right then and there, it could leave people saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know the potential that I have? Don't you understand what I'm capable of? You want me to do what? Well, that is exactly what Stephen could have said, but he didn't. You know, As I said earlier, I'm the campus pastor up in Nutley, but I didn't start there first. When I first came to Liquid Church, uh, I was so excited to be coming on board here, to be joining a church that had a vision and and a mission to, to reach the community that they live in. In fact, this is a picture that I took on my very first day showing up to the office. I was so excited I took a picture of the doors before I walked in there as the associate campus pastor here in Morristown. But I have to tell you that that has been the hardest role I have ever played in my entire career. Here I was. I was a youth pastor for the past 10 years. I was speaking regularly. I was investing in the lives of kids. I was doing all kinds of things. And then coming here, my new responsibility was to make phone calls and to set out Bibles and pens on chairs. It was so hard to connect with people. Because I don't know if you know this, But there are two individuals in this campus right here, both have big hair and bigger personalities, and they're well-loved by everybody. I don't want to name names, but I'm going to let you kind of figure that one out on your own, okay? And so I can remember standing in the hallway, watching hundreds of people just walk right by me, realizing that none of them knew who I was, nor did they need me to pastor them. The very reason I came here. Now, I hope this isn't too real for you, but that is exactly how I was feeling. I sank into a, a bit of a depression then, wondering, "What was I doing for God that even mattered?" You know, but now I thank God for that time because it gave me an opportunity for God to adjust my pride and my attitude. In fact, I was asking the wrong question. Rather than what was I doing for God, I needed to ask the question, "What am I doing with God?" A friend of mine has reminded me that we often have the wrong preposition on our journey with God. We don't do things for God. We are invited to do things with God. See, it was a season of refinement for me, and I grew to love my role with the dear people here in Morristown. There are leaders all over our church today that are doing things that are quite possibly could be described as below them. But every single Sunday, they wake up and give of themselves and sacrifice. See, I don't want you to miss this. In order to do things in this world, we need to have capable people who care for the small things. Have you ever heard the phrase, he's too big for his britches? It means that someone's conceited or they have a greater inflated sense of their own importance. The church desperately needs people who are comfortable in their own pants, no matter what size they are. And Stephen certainly was. See, Stephen, he laid down the sacrifice bunt. He laid down whatever he was doing in in his life in order to sacrifice so that others could advance. Instead of powering back on his heels, instead of getting ready to smash one out of the park, he leaned forward and sacrificed for the good of the team. And this is one of the first things that we see about love today. Our first big idea, if you're taking notes with us today, I want you to write this down. Our first big idea is that love lays down its desires to meet others' desires. Up in Nutley, uh, we have a volunteer green room there where we love to care for people, you know, those volunteers that are serving that Sunday. It's a great place for our volunteers to amp up on coffee and carbs before going out to serve. You know, recently we've been looking for a volunteer care coordinator just like Stephen. And one of our volunteers, Kristen, expressed some interest in this. So this is Kristen and her husband, Brad. And so we sat down and talked about it. Kristen is a mom of two incredible kids. Um, She has a daughter that's just returning back to college for her sophomore year. And then she has a son who is wrapped up in football and baseball and all things high school. So as you can understand, Kristen and Brad live a very busy life. So when we were talking about this, Brad and Kristen said, well, we'll have to see if we can fit this in our schedule. And, um, you know, we need to just go ahead and pray about this. Well, they came back to me several weeks later and broke the news that unfortunately they weren't going to be able to fit it into their schedule but they were so convinced, so persuaded, so just enamored in the fact that this job needed to be done, that somebody needed to lead and to care for our volunteers, that they decided to lay down a sacrifice bunt themselves. And Kristen will be dropping one day's worth of work every single week to serve our church. She gets it. She's elevating important, the important. She's willing to see fewer dollars in her paycheck every week so that she can see more people being cared for, loved and served. But what about you? What do you need to drop? What do you need to lay down in order to love someone else? See, sometimes we wonder, does what I do even matter? Does it make a difference? When Stephen accepted this role, um, great things started happening immediately. They saw results because Stephen, we grabbed the bat and laid down the sacrifice bunt. Other people advanced. People were growing in their faith. But this wasn't the end of the story for Stephen. Stephen left behind a legacy that was defined by his love because Stephen kept waiting tables. The interesting thing is that Stephen never stopped waiting tables. He was faithful in the small stuff, and he just kept on doing the small stuff. You know, he, he just, he didn't have the mindset of, like, if I prove myself, maybe they'll move me up to the big leagues. Stephen's role, his job, and his identity always remained as a waiter. But this waiter did some things that added up and paid huge dividends. See, Stephen had a home-run faith, and he was a man with great spiritual authority, Look with me at verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was a man who was rising to the top. You know, he was the Derek Jeter of his team. He was not only a supporting teammate, but he was an all-star on the field. But who do we love to hate? We love to hate those people that are better than us. And so not much has changed in 2,000 years because Stephen had haters too. You know who gave Stephen the hardest time? The religious leaders. These were the men that were filled with jealousy and rage because Stephen was caring and performing well. These religious leaders, you know, they lied and said that Stephen um, spoke against the temple and against God's law. But you need to check out what happened next. It says, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came together and they dragged him away. You know, let me ask you a question. When you're attacked, when somebody um, comes against you and maybe slanders you, or when you're disappointed by the way that life has turned out, what do you do? Do you stand by your convictions, what you believe to be true, and, you know, and what you want to do, continue going forward? Or do you divert your energy to whatever it's going to, to be to make you feel better, to ease the pain the quickest? You know, I was talking with somebody from Nutley this past week, and she began to tell me as, you know, tears started coming down her eyes about how she feels like she needs to quit her job. She feels like she's not being supported there, and she's being, um, you know, accused of, of not, you know, hitting home runs and knocking them out of the park. But she was saying, they're not supporting me. Every time I step up to bat and I swing, it's going out there, it's going, it's going, it's going. And right as soon as it gets to the fence, they just pull the ball out of the air and they take my feet out from under me. See, it doesn't always go well. But in the midst of his accusers, Stephen stood and he took the heat. He paused for one moment and he gave this stirring speech to the leaders of the synagogue. He went step by step by step you know, through the whole beginning of Abraham's story, all the way through Moses and the prophets. And he walks them through how Moses and the prophets are actually pointing towards Jesus. And now it was in this moment that the leaders of the synagogue became totally unhinged. You listen to, to verse 54. It says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began stoning him. See, Stephen was committed to the cause of Christ. He was committed so much so that he was willing to lay down his life for it. It was because of this man's love for Jesus and love for the church that he paid the ultimate sacrifice. Nothing was going to stand in the way. He was unwilling to waver on his commitment. See, commitment cannot be situational. Stephen shows us that this type of love that makes up a home-run faith is one that is utterly committed even to the point of sacrifice. Stephen laid down the bunt so that you and I and others could advance. But do you notice what Stephen sees there? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is standing standing. Nowhere else in the entire Bible is Jesus pictured as standing at the right hand of the Father. Every single other location, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I have a hunch that Jesus is standing because he sees what Stephen is doing. And Jesus gives Stephen a standing ovation. But you know who typically gets a standing ovation? The guy that powers through and knocks out the grand slam. The guy that gets the home run to win the game, that guy gets the standing O. Never the guy that lays down the sacrifice bunt gets himself intentionally out so somebody else can score. That guy never gets a standing ovation. But that's the way it works in baseball. That's the way it works in the stadium. That is not the way that it works in the kingdom of God. See, God looks at at the smallest things. He sees those that are, are sacrificing small ways. And he stands up and he says, that is what I'm looking for. That is what I'm talking about. Jesus is standing to his feet, welcoming Stephen home. Because in verse 58, we see that the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord Do not hold their sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Look who shows up on the scene. A young man named Saul. Saul who would one day day be named Paul. The very same Paul who then would go on to mentor Timothy, telling him that he needs to have love as a part of his game. Why in the world would Paul be so insistent that love needs to be a part of this game? To have a home run faith, he puts love at second base. What's up with that? I have a hunch it's because Paul witnessed what true love looks like through Stephen's death, through Stephen's martyrdom. He stood by watching with an approving eye as men threw stone after stone after stone on Stephen's body. Till he could breathe no more. See, the image of a man who was willing to lay down his life for something that he loved was forever burned into the retinas of his eyes. And this sacrifice brings us to the second big idea today about love from Stephen's story. And it's that love flourishes on a path of sacrifice. See, love is totally and utterly committed to the good of others, regardless of the cost along the way. Love is willing to get out so that others can advance. If Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to have love as a part of his game, wouldn't it make sense to see what kind of love he's talking about? After all, here's Paul. He is the majority writer of the New Testament. Paul is one of the most influential writers of all time, and yet Paul points back to Jesus. In fact, the whole Bible points back to Jesus. And so what does Jesus have to say about love? He says that no one has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. According to Jesus, there's no greater love than the type of love that lays down her, love, her life for her friends the type of love that sacrifices for others so that they can advance. There is no more selfless act in baseball than to lay down a sacrifice bunt, to know that you're walking up to that plate so that you can get out. Like Stephen, there are times when the most loving thing that you can do is to sacrifice yourself for someone else. In fact, I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for the sacrifice that so many people made for me. You know, I, I think about um, when I was in 10th grade. God got a hold of my life. And I began to love the church. I began to love the people of the church. And it was then that I knew one day I would be a pastor. So I decided to continue to pursue that with my education. And I told my parents that. And uh, two years later, I ended up at Philadelphia Biblical University. And my parents were so incredibly proud of me. My dad was a pastor, and uh, here was his boy, his only kid, headed off to school wanting to be a pastor. But in order to get me there, my parents saved money any way they could. My mom took on more piano lessons and piano students, and they didn't go out to eat, and they lived their life in such a way that I didn't have to take out uh, student loans. I mean, they didn't even go out on dates so that I could go to school. Now, fast forward, after college, I'd been a youth pastor for about nine years now, and I knew that it was time to go back to school for more training, and I applied to biblical theological seminary. My wife, Tiffany, and I were living in PA, and we were on a single small salary, and we weren't sure how we were going to swing paying for for seminary, and there were books to buy, classes to pay for, uh, you know, all those types of things. So we prayed and prayed and asked God to provide. And then I sent out 14 letters to friends asking them to pray as well. One sweet widow wrote back. She said, I recently lost some weight and none of my clothes fit me. I have nice clothes and I realized that there's some value uh, in them for someone else. So I've sold them on consignment and I want you to have that money. And there was a check for 250 bucks. Another friend wrote back and said, I believe in you. I've reorganized my budget, and I will be sending you $80 every month until you graduate. He changed his whole budget for me. That sacrifice. While another dear couple never wrote me back, but they simply showed up at our doorstep after making Costco runs for us, always ensuring that we had enough diapers and wipes. Not for me, for my daughter Leah. (laughs) But along with diapers and wipes, there would be gallons of milk. There would be groceries to stock our fridge with. These people sacrificed. They laid down the bunt so that I could advance, so that I could get ahead. But now there was one moment in, in this whole time. There was one moment where I felt like, you know, finances were too tight for comfort. My time got stretched too thin. And the only outcome I could see was quitting school. Life had just gotten too difficult. My wife, Tiffany, um, is the one that has sacrificed more than anything else for me to be there. And she looked me square in the eyes and she said, you are not quitting. God is doing some great things in you. God has been faithful in the past, and I believe with everything that I have that he will be faithful in the future. I love you more than you know. You're not quitting. It was an incredible day when I walked across that stage and received my diploma, because I knew that there were so many people who had helped me achieve that moment. You know, in this picture right here, I'm standing holding an award that I had received at seminary at graduation, uh, the Masters of Divinity President's Award. And some of you are looking at that, and you see the letters N-E-R-D written on my forehead. That's fair, to be honest. Um, But others of you look at that and you see um, a GPA or you see hard work determination. But when I look at that, all I can see is my wife. Because I know that without her, that never would have happened. I know without a doubt in my mind, that she sacrificed herself, her time, her energy, everything she had, so that I could advance. That is love. And that's my story, that's a part of it. But what's yours? Who has sacrificed for you so that you could get ahead? or better yet, who are you sacrificing for? Who are you truly loving? You know, when I think about people that are sacrificing themselves, I cannot help but think about the roadies. This is a group of dedicated men and women who are the first in and the last out. They arrive far before any of you have even hit snooze on your alarm clock. And they're running cables and setting up environments. They're unloading trucks and pushing cases. And they are making sure that you and I can attend church today. And then at the end of the day, they're going to pack it all up and they're going to push it back onto those trucks and do it all over again. But I think about our Liquid Kids volunteers. Some of the most precious people that we have here at Liquid Church are all under four feet tall. They're in hallways all across our campuses right now. They're making noise. Those those rooms are filled with laughter and energy, and it's all stemming from our kids. Our family ministry volunteers are dedicated to helping our youngest have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and they give of their time tirelessly. You know, maybe for you, the first step is just to clear some clutter from your life so that you can actually invest in those around you. This may involve taking a step right here at Liquid Church and serving on one of our teams. Or maybe for you this hits a little closer to home. In fact, maybe this means that tonight you need to roll over and look your spouse in the eye and tell them you love them and then show them you love them. Just not like that. Um, Show them by relentlessly sacrificing your needs, relentlessly sacrificing your desires So that theirs can be fulfilled and achieved. Men, sacrificing for your wife does not look like doing the dishes, taking the trash out, and offering to make dinner. That is just the baseline. If you're not doing that, you need to hand in your husband card. In fact, I want to ask the ushers to come forward. Would you collect the husband cards right now? Um, You know, I'm just kidding. But, you know, men, we need to come home and we need to be ready and willing to sacrifice for our wives and say, babe, I've got this. You go out, go get a mani, a pedi, whatever, whatever it is you do, and then when you're done, come on back whenever you're ready. I've got the kids, I've got dinner, don't even think twice about it. Or you know what, maybe you need to surprise your wife by taking a day off from work so that you two can spend an uninterrupted time together. Put the cell phone down. Or dads, your little kids They are longing for you to sacrifice your pride and your ego so you can act a fool with them. You know, get them on the ground, wrestle with your kids, make ridiculous noises, talk in silly voices with them. My two oldest kids learned that I can talk with a lisp, and they think it's hysterical. Dad, dad, do that voice again. Dads, get them to laugh. Your kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Sacrifice it for them. And just because your kids may be grown, they may be out of the house, or maybe they're at a campus going to college someplace right now, it doesn't mean that you can stop sacrificing for them. Keep investing time and energy and money in the things your grown kids love. See, when you sacrifice for those that you love, I promise you that it will pay rich dividends for years to come. Church, you have been given one life. This morning you woke up, you have breath in your lungs, you have air filling your your lungs, your heart is beating. You have been given one day today. Make the most of it. See, when we step up to the plate, we all long to swing for the fences. We want to be known as one that knocks it out of the park. But today we see that it may be better to be known To be one that lays down the sacrifice bunt, to be known as one that is willing to love others sacrificially. And I am convinced of that. Inside of your bulletin, there are notes there, and on the back, there is a question that I've wanted to ask you today. And it says, How can you sacrifice for the one you love? We just want to clear some space right here, right now. Get your pen out. Click that pen and be ready to answer that question. In this next moment, we want to allow you the time, the opportunity to maybe to ask God, God, what do you want? How can I love? How can I sacrifice? Go ahead and write that down right now. Heavenly Father, God, we know that we are following in the example of Jesus and Stephen and many others that have gone before us that have sacrificed. God, I pray that we would learn from their lessons, Lord, that we would learn what it means to truly love someone. And that, God, we would boldly and courageously step out into that. That, God, wherever you have placed us, wherever you have planted us, That, God, we would find ways to courageously, courageously, sacrificially love those around us. We will do this so that you receive the honor and the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com